Last week, we saw how, how we often reject God as our Father in so many ways. Uh, that sermon was titled Rejection. Uh, today, I'd like to look at how uh, we can really and deeply grow in enjoying God as our Father. And the key to enjoying God as our Father lies in understanding this doctrine of adoption. Now, almost all of us who are followers of Jesus have, have a pretty good understanding of this doctrine of adoption. We all know that when the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that very moment, we were all adopted as God's children. John 1.12 puts it beautifully. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, all of us already know this. All of us, I'm sure, we understand the doctrine of adoption. And yet, we don't enjoy God as our father as much as we should. And so today, all I'm hoping to do is to show us a biblical pathway for each of us to grow in our enjoyment of God as a father. We're going to be looking at a passage from Galatians today. Um, the book of Galatians is a part of the New Testament. It was written by a man named Paul, who is an amazing follower of Jesus. It's a very short passage, just three verses. Um, allow me to read it for us. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Verse 6, because you are his sons and daughters, of course, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for a minute. Uh, Father, we thank you for this promise, for this eternal assurance that your spirit is going to testify with our spirit that we are God's children. We know that this is the work of your Holy Spirit. So we faithfully come expecting, Lord, expecting in faith your Holy Spirit to come and, and enable every one of us to cry out, Abba, Father. Holy Spirit, we wait on you. We lean on you. We look to you with faith and expectancy, Lord, to move in our hearts even through the sermon. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to draw three things for us from this passage. First, I want to talk about the difference between justification and adoption. Second, I want to talk about the journey we all make from justification to adoption. 
And third, I'll close with, how do we grow in our enjoyment of our adoption? So the difference between justification and adoption, the journey from justification to adoption, and growing in the enjoyment of our adoption. Let's dive into the first thing. The difference between our justification and our adoption. I guess we're kind of surprised um, right now, or maybe even intrigued a bit by the first point. Is there really a difference between justification and adoption? Have, haven't we all thought of it as, as, as just one thing? Is, is there really a difference? Yes, there is. And uh, the reason I'm talking about this difference is I think seeing this difference is going to help us appreciate God as our Father even more. Look at verses 4 and 5 from the passage that I just read out. When the set time had fully come, God had sent, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that, so that, we might receive adoption to sonship. So two things are happening here in verse 5. First, to redeem those under the law. That's justification, redemption. That's the first thing that's happening. So that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so this verse kind of indicates that adoption, that justification and adoption are two different things. Adoption follows justification. Redemption or justification is the first thing that happens to us. But adoption is the immediate and inevitable second step that happens to us. Now, let me be clear here. There is no gap between justification and adoption. Theologically, there is no gap. The moment we are justified, we are also adopted. Let me just share a couple of slides which is going to help us uh, just really understand this, this difference between justification and adoption. Justification and adoption are the, are the twin towers of the Christian faith. I mean, just like these two towers, the Petronas Towers in Malaysia, kind of connected to each other, these two are so linked. You can never really separate them, and yet they are different. So theologically, one cannot separate justification and adoption. But functionally, we could experience justification without fully enjoying adoption. And so what I'd like to do now is just spend a little bit of time um, really trying to understand this difference between the two. Justification is God as the judge. And in Christ, he pronounces not guilty. You know, your sins are forgiven and all of that. Adoption in Christ is God as our father. Adoption follows justification. God cannot accept us as sons and daughters if we are still sinful. Because he is holy and uh, no sin can enter his presence. So what God had to do is he first had to justify us. And how did he justify us? By sending his son, Christ Jesus, to live the perfect life in our place and die on the cross bearing the punishment for all of our sins. 
and then rise again from the dead. That's justification. And having justified us, he then adopted us as children. Now, let me, let me help us um, appreciate this difference between justification and adoption some more. Being justified is absolutely necessary for our adoption. But being justified still does not entitle us to adoption. I want us to uh, think of this uh, for, a, for, a, for a moment. Being justified, as I explained, is absolutely necessary. But being justified does not entitle us to adoption. Let me give you an illustration. Let's, let's think of a kingdom, right? And there's this king, and there is this citizen. The citizen of this kingdom obeys all the laws of the kingdom. He is a perfect citizen. He, he pays his taxes. He obeys all the rules. And not only does he pay his, ta- pays his taxes, he gives a lot of his wealth away to, to, to help the poor in the city, in the, in the kingdom. And he is the perfect citizen. So much so that the king calls him and says, you are the best citizen in the country. Now, can this best citizen in the country therefore go and claim, I am the prince because I am the citizen? Because you've justified me, king, you have also adopted. Or think of a judge in a court. A criminal is bought and he's found not guilty. And the judge actually not only pronounces him not guilty, but even goes ahead and says, you are a good man. Uh, you know, you, you endured through this unfair trial. You did a good job. And uh, so I pronounce you not guilty. You are justified, the judge tells this, this man. And this man says, uh, thank you, judge. When can I come to your home and... When are you going to give me your share of your inheritance? Just because the judge's pronounces man justified does not entitle him to be adopted as the judge's son. And I want us to remember that adoption is the second and a distinct grace that God graciously extends to us. Hey, God could have stopped with justification and we would have been grateful. God could have just said, your sins are forgiven. I've clothed you with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, right? You have the righteousness of Christ. God could have stopped with that. But did God do that? No, he went beyond. And I want us to remember and help us see that adoption is a separate grace distinct from justification. We need to see justification and adoption as two distinct acts of undeserved grace. Pause for a moment. Let this let this sink in. Pause for a moment to consider how much God loves you. That not only would He pronounce you justified, having done that, He would take the next step, an additional step. And say, you're also now my son and my daughter. Have you seen this depth of the gospel? Think about this some more. Jesus imputed his righteousness to us. Right? We all know that. We talk about it every single day at New City. When he died on the cross and rose again from the dead, not only was all our sins forgiven, they were heaped on Jesus, he was punished. And so Jesus heaped uh, his righteousness onto us. We know that. We cherish that. 
But we also often forget to remember that Jesus also imputed his sonship to us. That's how we become children of God. See, these are two distinct things. Just because Jesus imputed his righteousness to us doesn't automatically make us sons and daughters. We become justified. But Jesus also imputed his sonship to us so that we can become sons and daughters of God. Jesus was a perfectly obedient son. He did everything his father's heart desired. He went above the law even. And and he pleased the father. He, He joyfully obeyed the father. And then he imputed his perfect sonship to us. We need to see justification and adoption as two distinct acts of unmerited grace. G.I. Packer, a well-known theologian, captures this beautifully. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher than even justification. Adoption is higher than even justification. I mean, if a man is a criminal, you, you tell him, you're forgiven, I'm not going to sentence you, go live your life, that's justification. But when you go ahead and tell him, you're no longer a sinner, but you, can not, you are now my son, and you're now my daughter, that is adoption. There's such a big leap in the heart of God. Justification to adoption, appreciate the richness in God's, of God's grace. That he's giving us the second act of unmerited grace in our adoption. So if you remember this morning, I started off the sermon by saying that all of us understand the doctrine of adoption, and yet we don't often enjoy God as our father. And one of the reasons for that is we forget to appreciate this difference between justification and adoption. I want us to just help us see how we live our lives. Uh, we just think of this as one, one, one doctrine. I want to help us see how we live our lives as justified servants without really living our lives as adopted sons. And I'm going to use a situation from the lockdown. I'm going to bring one more slide up. Um, If we are indeed God's sons and daughters, we have several blessings. If we are really sons, we can just be restful in him. We can rest in him. If we are his, really his daughters, we can enjoy our father. And we have spontaneous confidence. And there is a real glory constantly in our life. The God's Holy Spirit constantly living in a, in, in, within us. But think about this. I want to share just from my own where my heart has been during the season of, of, the, of, of the lockdown. Instead of restful security, what I have been going through quite often is anxious striving. Instead of enjoying God as my father, I have had several moments of fear. Fears for the church, fears for our future, fears for our health, fears for my health, your health, fears over finances, fears over the economy. And instead of having spontaneous confidence to enter God's presence, 
to depend on him, I've been looking more at self-reliance, working hard to, to make myself strong in my own strength. And instead of feeling light as a child of God, I've been feeling heavy and burdened. Perhaps some of you can relate to this. Now, the key here, as I have been experiencing all of these fear, anxiety, burden, self, as I've been experiencing all of this, I, I've known absolutely clearly in my heart that I am fully justified. I have no doubts that I'm fully justified. I have absolutely no doubts. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I have the righteousness of Christ. I know I am accepted. I know I'm forgiven. I know I am not guilty. I'm still struggling with all of these. Why is that? It's because even though I feel fully justified, I am not experiencing adoption. You see, functionally, theologically, the moment God justifies us, he also adopts us. Theologically, but functionally, there is a journey, there is a gap between us experiencing justification and us, and us enjoying adoption. I really would like to see us, help us see this, this difference. So, we have been living, I have been living as justified servants rather than as adopted sons and daughters. And that's the throwback to the parable of the prodigal son. He, he, just, he, he kind of knows his father will forgive him. He's, he knows justification is going to happen, but he's not sure, sure of being accepted as a son again. We are not just justified servants. We are adopted sons and daughters. What a difference there is between the two. And there is a big gap. Let me give us another illustration from the world of business. You know, in my life as a business journalist, uh, I've kind of met quite a few uh, business families. So if you take the Lions group, there's Mukesh Ambani, and he has a son, uh, you know, children, Akash, Anisha, and, uh, and, and one more, Anand Ambani, three children. And, and then there's Manoj Modi. Manoj Modi is his right-hand man, Mukesh Ambani's right-hand man. He is not a son. He is an employee, a trusted employee, maybe the most favored employee, maybe the most trusted employee. Now, I met all of these people. The way a Manoj Modi behaves is completely different from the way an Akash Ambani or an Isha Ambani behave. Hey, they are sons and daughters. Manoj Modi, as trusted as he may be, at the end of the day, is still an employee. He might be a great friend. He's not a son. He is just an employee. Or, or take Wipro, right? Azim Premji and Rishad Premji. Rishad Premji is his son. And, and Wipro has a CEO. The way that CEO behaves is very different from the way Rishad Premji behaves. He, he is chilled out. He is secure. He is not anxious. Rishad Premji is not anxious. He is not striving. He knows he has his father's approval. But not the CEO. How are we living? How are we living as justified servants or are we living as adopted sons and daughters? 
that's the difference between justification and adoption. We really need to understand this difference. Now, timeline-wise, there is no gap. There is no gap from the moment God justifies us and adopts us. Everyone God justifies, he adopts. That's his grace. We can't have a sense of entitlement to it. It's his grace towards us. So that's the first thing I want to draw out for us from the passage. The difference between justification and adoption. The second difference, the second thing I want to draw us from this passage is the journey from justification to adoption. The journey. Hey, we all make this journey. We are in the journey. If you imagine justification in this corner and adoption, we have already been both, but in our experience, in our heart, that journey takes time. We all know we are forgiven. Yes. Do we? Absolutely yes. But do we all feel like sons and daughters? Maybe not so much. And so there is a journey to make. And I want to share a little bit of, of my own journey. Uh, I'm still on this journey. I, I, I often behave merely as a justified servant. And um, it's only occasionally that I enjoy being an adopted son of God, an adopted child of God. And I'm still on this journey. And um, I'm going to open up a little bit of my life and share a few things. Uh, uh, please don't laugh at me. Uh, what I'm about to share is not a joke. I'm, I'm really bearing my soul. I'm talking about some of the trauma I went through as a childhood. So please don't uh, laugh at me. Uh, 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 I, we were born two siblings, me and my younger sister. And uh, very early on in my life, I don't know, maybe I was three years old, four years old, I can't remember. Very early on in my life, I kind of realized that I was the only dark-skinned person in my family. Uh, my dad was extremely fair. Uh, my mom was extremely fair. My sister was extremely fair-skinned. And I was the only uh, dark-skinned guy. And <laughs> you can laugh. I, I can see the hint of a smile. I know some of you are trying your best not to laugh. Hey, but it was traumatic for me. You know, I felt uh, I was not part of the family. I felt uh, a lesser person in the family. It really uh, uh, bothered me. And then a few incidents in my childhood uh, kind of aggravated, uh, aggravated this. I kind of grew up uh, somehow believing uh, that my parents loved my sister more than they loved me. Hey, I'm not blaming. I'm not critical. I've, I've experienced healing in this. Uh, it's something I struggled with for many years, but but I'm absolutely, I've experienced healing in this. I'm over this, but I want to share this to help us understand. So I grew up with this notion that my parents loved my sister more than me. And I want to just share a couple of stories from my own life. Uh, I was in school, maybe fourth grade, fifth grade. I can't remember. And my school had this fundraiser. And uh, so the fundraiser was simple. Everybody buys a lottery ticket for two rupees. And uh, when they, at the end of the day, they collect all the money and then they'll pick one winner and the winner gets a prize. And the rest of the money goes for the fundraiser to build the school building. And uh, the prize was a steel plate with the winner's name engraved on it, you know, a steel plate. That's it. Uh, but it was a big deal at that point in time. And you, you know me, I'm very optimistic. The moment they announced the lottery, I knew I was going to win it. I, I was just so full of confidence that I was going to win it. So I decided to go to my parents. We come from a really middle class, lower middle class background. Uh, it was hard for us to make ends meet. And I go back to my parents and say, Dad, there's this lottery. Give me two rupees. I want to go buy that ticket. Uh, my dad said, um, sorry, son, there's, uh, we don't have money and you know, we can't pay for the ticket. And uh, uh, I was crushed. And it was quite embarrassing as well uh, because I was the only one in my class who didn't pay that two rupees. And the teacher would keep reminding, those of you who haven't paid, haven't paid, haven't paid. And 
I was crushed, but I, I got over it. I forgot all about it until the day they announced the winner of the lottery. So it was a school assembly in the morning and they announced the winner of the lottery. And I, I was okay. And I, I didn't really give it too much thought, but they announced the winner. When they announced the winner of the lottery, I was shell shocked because the winner of the lottery was my sister. And man, that hit me really hard. And I felt neglected. I, I felt orphaned. I was angry. I was sad. I, I remember I was on the verge of tears standing in the assembly. And I went home angry at my father and, and said, how dare you do this? You didn't give me money because you said there's no money, but you gave my sister. How dare you do this? And my father kind of became defensive and he, he told me something which scarred me for a long time. He said, you will never win anything. You will never win anything. That's why I didn't give you. And he, he was just being defensive to justify what he did. That really kind of sunk deep into my heart. And that kind of shaped the meta narrative of my life. And for many years, I kind of lived believing I had to fight to earn love. I have to fight and be successful and prove myself to earn love. Now, incidents like this can crush you. Some people are, will just get crushed. But it didn't crush me. It just made me hard. And it just made me uh, hard-hearted. And I didn't respond by being crushed and saying, uh, this is the end of the life for me. Nobody loves me. I, I didn't do that. I'm not saying that's wrong. Uh, I went to the other extreme, which is equally wrong. I kind of got into a mode, I'm going to show you you're wrong. I'm going to prove myself. And for the next 25 years of my life, maybe till I was in my mid-30s, maybe even into my 40s, I just spent life trying to earn people's love by my performance. I just spent my life trying to earn people's love by my success, showing them what my father said I could never do. I could never win. I spent my life showing people I could win and get them to love me because I could win. I was having a conversation with one of my mentors. Some of you know him, Bruce N. from Civil City, uh, some time ago. And I was processing all this. And then it hit me. And I said, Drew, I'm a hustler. I've spent my life hustling people for love. Because deep down, I believe my father did not love me. And so even with God, I'm constantly trying to hustle God for his love. And I'm sharing all this because all of this also had a bearing on how I was relating to God as my heavenly father. You see, justification was easy for me. I could take that God could forgive me, wipe away my sins. I, I got that, no problem. I, I can understand that. But God loving me as a child and I don't have to do anything to earn his love. I don't have to be successful so he can love me. I don't have to be perfect so he can love me. That was very alien to me. So in my life, it was a really, really long journey to just believe that God loves me as a son. It was very hard. Even now it is hard. And so subconsciously, I keep slipping into performance mode so often. So the meta-narrative of my life is that I'm a hustler. I am a hustler. God is turning me into a son who is accepted 
who's loved, a son who does not need to hustle anymore to earn his father's love. He could just rest and enjoy. I'm growing in that. That's the second thing I wanted to share. The journey from being a justified servant to an adopted son. I'm still on that journey. And I guess maybe in your own life, you're able to see where you are. Each of you are yourself on that journey. The third and the last thing I want to close with is how do we grow in the enjoyment of our adoption? I know all of us know we are forgiven. Sure, we have doubts, but when we get, we get it, justification. But how do we also learn to enjoy the second act of unmerited grace that God extends to us because of our faith in Christ Jesus, adoption? How can we enjoy, grow in our enjoyment of God as our Father? I asked this question last, in the last week in the last sermon through the parable of the prodigal son, and, and we did answer that question. It was a very simple answer. Just show up. Just come to the Father. He loves you. Just show up. I want to I build on that answer some more. And that answer is here for us right in verse 6. How can we grow in our enjoyment of our adoption? The answer is here in verse 6 from the passage we looked at. Let me read that for us. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. God's Holy Spirit who lives in us, he enables us to enjoy our adoption by calling out Abba Father. Paul expresses the same idea of adoption in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 15 to 16. Let me read that out for us as well. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 16. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. And verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. God's Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And from these two passages, I want to show us how we can grow in our enjoyment of God as our Father. How we can grow in our enjoyment of adoption. First, let's look at this phrase, by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry Abba, Father. I want to highlight the word cry here. And I want us to um, really uh, um, grasp the full import of this word cry. We cry, Abba, Father. This passage is not, it's not saying we say Abba, Father. No, this, it's deeper. We're crying out Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit does not just enable us to say Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit enables us to cry out from deep within, cry out, Abba Father. Hey, anyone can say Abba Father. Siri can say it. Alexa can say Abba Father. Right? You, you, you teach it. Siri and Alexa can say Abba Father. No, no problems at all. But that does not make Siri and Alexa daughters of God. Right? It's not just saying Abba Father. Hey, aren't we like that? Aren't we as indifferent as Siri and Alexa or as we has lifeless like Siri and Alexa when we say Abba Father and say it but don't mean it? Aren't we like that? Yeah, absolutely. I am like that quite, quite often. 
And so this is the, the, what this verse, this passage is trying to communicate when it says the Spirit enables us to cry out of our Father. It's, it's, not, it's not just a mere saying. It's a deep and profound cry from deep within our soul. This word cry in this passage is from the Greek word kruzo. Kruzo. If you remember the incident where Jesus was walking on water, and uh, Peter saw Jesus on walking on water, and, and Peter was suddenly filled with faith. He said, Jesus, uh, I also walk, want to walk on water. Call me out of the boat. And Jesus calls him. And Peter, in faith, steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on water. But as he starts walking on water, he sees the wind. Let me read that, Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He cried out. That word is cruzo. This is not a dispassionate word. This is a desperate cry. Cruzo, that's, that's a Greek word. He cried out. This was an instinctive cry. This was a deep cry. And there are moments in our lives, perhaps during hardship, perhaps during good times, perhaps during worship, perhaps even now as you listen to God's word being preached to you, perhaps even now, your soul is crying out, Abba, Father, from deep within. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit in you. Maybe, you're, maybe God's Holy Spirit is enabling you to cry out, Abba, Father, right now. I once heard Tim Keller use this very helpful illustration. He used this illustration of a man and his daughter, a father and his daughter, walking in a park and they're holding hands. The daughter knows she's loved by the father. The father loves the daughter. They're talking, they're enjoying, they're walking. And as they're walking, suddenly the father stops. He lifts his daughter up. He hugs his daughter. He kisses his daughter on the cheek and he says, darling, I love you. And in that moment, the daughter is overwhelmed by his father's, by her father's love. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. As we walk with our Father, there are moments when the Holy Spirit enables us to experience our Father picking us up and hugging us and kissing us and saying, Darling, I love you. The Holy Spirit does that. He enables us to cry about our Father. That's what this verse means. Think about this illustration for a minute. When the Father picked the daughter up and hugged her, did the Father love the daughter more than he already did? Or when he was walking with the daughter, did the father love the daughter any less than the moment when he hugged her? No, the father loves his daughter. But there are moments of experiencing the father's love that the Holy Spirit enables us to enjoy. That's the first way we grow in our experience of, of enjoying God as our father. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in every one of us, quite often. In such moments, when the Holy Spirit enables us to cry out of our Father, He is giving us an experiential enjoyment of the living knowledge that we already have that God is our Father. The Holy Spirit gives us moments of real experiential enjoyment of the living knowledge that we already have that God is our Father. Oh, how we need 
these moments. How we need these moments. Sometimes we just need one such moment of the Holy Spirit enabling us to cry out, Abba, Father, for our entire faith to be rekindled. For us to overcome our sorrows, our sadness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our bitterness. Just one moment where the Holy Spirit enables us to cry of our Father and the shackles are broken. That's all we need. Would you cry out of our Father right now? Go ahead. Do it. I really believe, absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit is present every time God's word is faithfully preached. I believe that the Holy Spirit is present here and now in our midst. And if you would want to, in your heart, you don't have to say it loud, in your heart, if you want to cry out, Abba, Father, right now, go ahead, do it. Cry to your Father. Ask Him for strength. Ask Him what you need. Tell Him how much you love Him. Repent if you need to. Even if you do nothing, nothing or none of this, it's okay. Just cry out, Abba, Father, and enjoy Him. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that. That's the first way in which we experience growing in enjoying God as our Father. And the second way we can grow is also here in verse 16 from the same, from the book of Romans, not Galatians. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the passage I read out for us. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, visualize this. God's Holy Spirit testifies within our spirit that we are God's children. Now, what on earth is happening here? What does this look like? What does this mean? What does this mean to say, how, how, do, I, how do I experience this testimony? When you say God's Holy Spirit is testifying to my spirit, that we are God's children, what exactly is, is happening here? How, how do we understand? How do we experience more of God's spirit testifying to my spirit? What does this really mean? I'm going to take a minute to answer this question and I'll close with this. We are all sensory beings and we are spiritual beings. Sensory beings and spiritual beings. Sensory beings uh, we're all alive to the senses, sight, smell, sound, touch. We all experience this. So, so we, we are sensory beings. But we are also spiritual beings. God gave us a spirit. And this spirit died because of sin. And God, by his grace, he regenerated our spirit. We've been seeing this in the city for many years. And it is only when God regenerates our spirit that we can cry out Jesus. We come to faith, regeneration precedes faith. God's Holy Spirit regenerates our, our spirit. So we are sensory beings and we are spiritual beings. What is described in this verse? That the Spirit himself, God's Holy Spirit, testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. What is described in this word is a spiritual experience. It's not a sensory experience. It's a spiritual experience. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He's not testifying with our senses that we are the children of God. And so one of the reasons we don't fully enjoy God as our father 
is that we is because we seek him only in a sensory way because that's our predominant mode of operation the sensory mode but what is happening here is a spiritual experience now before i proceed let me say i'm not saying the sensory experience is bad i'm not trying to create a false dichotomy between sensory and the spiritual both are equally holy both are created by god jesus was a sensory being he had flesh and blood when we are resurrected when christ comes again we will not only be spiritual beings but we will continue to be sensory beings and jesus talked to us he called to us through sensory experiences as well come to me those who are thirsty i will give you living waters he connected the sensory and the spiritual the living water he was talking about was not just water to drink it was eternal life but he gave us eternal life by calling a sensory need of thirst or when you think of the second coming of the christ the wedding supper the wedding banquet the wedding feast of the lamb that's a sensory how do we how do we come to faith yes there is a spiritual experience but we also need the sensory experience of hearing the gospel preached to us so the sensory experience combines with the spiritual experience and we are born again so i'm not saying sensory experience is bad that's wrong that's a false dichotomy we are one beings body mind and soul and spirit but what happens hey, as we live our busy ambitious lives is we kind of shove the spiritual being of ourselves and we're kind of spending more time in sensory experiences we are all a lot more open we are all a lot more comfortable engaging in a sensory way than we are engaging in a spiritual way imagine this uh, imagine if my phone has wifi and your phone has bluetooth they're not going to be able to connect right that's the difference so if we are trying to engage with god only through a sensory experience because we engage with the world only through a sensory experience that's what we are we are most comfortable with then that that is 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 a challenge again i'm not saying sensory experiences are bad i'm saying we must have a sensory experience and the spiritual experience of god and so the reason we are not able to enjoy god as our, our father quite often is that we rely too much on the sensory experience I mean, Instagram is a sensory experience. I mean, scroll through all the posts you see; it's a sensory experience. You know, maybe we're expecting God to speak to us through an Instagram story. Maybe God is going to come. Jesus is going to show up on an Instagram story and 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 speak to us and call us out or love us or encourage us or whatever. It's not going to happen, right? Or we we when we eat food, we enjoy. It's a good thing. Hey, Instagram is not bad. Use it with with limits. um food is a uh, are you saying a thumbs up food is a uh a sensory experience but we are used to it right and so we live in a world where the sensory experiences seem more real and we can experience god as a sen- as a father sensorily but it's not just enough we can only experience god as a father through a sensory experience so what this passage is talking about is a spiritual experience God's Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. 
So how do I experience this? How do I commune with God in the spirit? How can I grow in the spiritual experience of, of con connecting and communing with the, with the Holy Spirit? Simple ways. First, we are crowded by sensory inputs. The voice and the clamor of sensory inputs around us is loud and constant. And we need to tone that up. Jesus did that. He went away by himself into the mountainside early in the morning to pray to his father. He wanted to commune with the father. And so one way we can grow in our spiritual experience is to, for some time, quieten the sensory inputs around us. What does that mean? That means going away by ourselves. Hey, all of us can do that. Just go into a room. If you don't have a room, you say, I, I live in a crowded family or there are too many people in my room. Hey, everyone has a washroom. Go into your washroom. Five minutes, ten minutes. And, and for heaven's sake, don't take your phone into your washroom. I, wherever you go, don't take your phone. Leave it behind. Find a place of quietness. Let, let the sensory inputs recede. Let the sensory inputs go down. In quietness, commune with the Father. You know, I'm just explaining in a very complicated way what the Bible calls as fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is depriving ourselves of sensory inputs so we can be more alive to spiritual inputs. The sensory is not bad, but we need moments of spiritual communion. And so I want to close with this application. Would you set a date with your Heavenly Father now? It doesn't have to be one day. When can you get away for 15 minutes? Can you do it today? Can you do it tomorrow? 15 minutes in your bedroom, in your washroom, in your garden, in your car, Wherever, where you're going to just get away from the sensory inputs. Just quieten your soul and experience God's Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you're indeed the son and the daughter of God. Having given his son to die and the son having imputed his sonship to us, is God going to deny us his Holy Spirit testifying in our hearts that you are his son, you are his daughter? Hey, God is just constantly desiring for you and I to experience him as our father. Enjoy the experience. Come, come, come to that experience. I'm going to give us 30 seconds. I'm going to give us a minute before I close in prayer. And I want you, I really encourage you to slot that 15 minutes in your calendar. 15 minutes. Today, tomorrow, when I was set aside, 15 minutes. Read the Bible, pray. Um, cut out sensory experience. Don't even listen to worship music. Just, just by yourself. In quietness. I'm going to give us a minute to set that time. Set that time. God will guide you. You'll grow in that. We'll all grow in that. I'm going to give us a minute to just think, pray by ourselves, and I'll close us in prayer and we move into communion. 
after that. Holy Spirit, even as we prepare to eat of the body of Christ Jesus and to drink of the blood of Christ Jesus, celebrating our union with Christ, even as we do that, Spirit of God, would you come, would you enable every single one of us, not just those in this Zoom call right now, but even those who listen online, would you help them cry out, Abba, would you, would your Holy Spirit come right now, Lord, and testify to our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.